What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Run Free Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, today is episode 24, and I'm excited because we're taking a little break from uh, the Making of an Olympian series. I don't know if I mentioned this on the last go-around, but we just have a couple more of those. I was going to talk about uh, the way Olympians train, get into some like specifics of not necessarily like how they arrange their training, but more like things like preventative therapy and things like being deliberate and calculated with your training and how do you actually do that um not chasing uh in terms of workouts pressing too hard stuff like that like more like the mentality that olympians train with and then uh i'm gonna end it with and actually i got two more uh, so the next one after that's gonna be the way Olympians eat. So we're gonna get into some specifics again on um, kind of how Olympians approach nutrition, and then we're gonna end the series with Olympians are childlike. Uh, I did a post on that one on Instagram a little bit ago, and I just think this one is so so important for for everyone. Again, not just for people trying to qualify for the Olympic Games, but just people who want to enjoy their athletic pursuits to the fullest. So stay tuned for those ones, guys. Those are coming up uh, in the coming weeks. But this week, uh, we're going to do 20 top nutrition myths of 2020. And I'm pulling this article from examine.com. So that's what we're going over today. But before we do that, I want to pause for a brief commercial. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't do commercials that run free. Um, no, I just want to pause. Uh, today, you know, the Vaporfly ruling came out. And uh, just wanted to just talk about that really, really briefly. Not get into it. Not you know, spend a whole bunch of time on that. But um, for you guys who aren't following, don't know what came out with the Vaporflies, uh, so they came out and they decided that they are going to regulate shoes. And so they just put regulations in places. Our uh, world athletic uh, governing body who put this in place that shoes can only be a certain thickness. You can only have one uh, plate in the shoe, no matter what it's made of. Um, what was the other things they put in there? I think those were the two, those were the two main things. And what happened is when they said those two main things, there's a shoe, the alpha fly, which, most of you guys know Kipchoge wore those when he broke two hours. By the way, huge Kipchoge fan I am. I just love that guy. Loved I could watch him run all day long. Silky smooth, amazing runner. So big fan of Kipchoge. But those are the shoes that he was wearing uh, when he broke two hours. So those shoes won't be allowed in sanctioned competition. So um, guys aren't going to be able to run in the Olympic Games, Olympic trials in those, which I am relieved about i think that is just a really nice first step for us to take in starting to regulate um shoes and what can be worn is this is something that i think you know is nike kind of forced us to address it as a as a body um but it's kind of long overdue i think we needed to get some regulations in place because um you know it, it it was starting to look like the wild west there for a little bit like um you know when there's no limitations you're just like well what do they can come up with next and what kind of advantages are going to be out there so nice that um alpha flies won't be on the starting line um also too i wanted to just touch on that and talk about it a little bit just because we'll make it really 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 clear to the run free free community athletes that we're coaching that i personally do not have anything against vapor flies um i i think it's amazing technology amazing innovation been getting amazing results with it and at the end of the day like if you want to run fast like i recommend you to get those shoes and run in those shoes so um you know i recommend it to a lot of my athletes to wear those so you know, I personally do not have anything against Alpha Fly. So I don't want anyone who we're coaching to, you know, be like, oh, 
like uh, Ryan hates these shoes and I feel kind of weird like wearing them now you know because we're coming out with singlets and um, some some branding stuff that we're really excited to share with you guys try to cre create a little bit more of like community feel to run free and uh and I want you guys to feel free to wear the shoes that you believe in the most like I said I think they're the fastest shoes out there so um my only issue with the shoe and the only reason why I even like engaged in this uh conversation the shoe conversation was two reasons number one like a lot of pro athletes can't speak to this issue uh, i'm talking about pro athletes who aren't nike athletes who um you know are representing competing brands they obviously can't be like the shoe is unfair advantage because then it makes their brand look really bad right so um, athletes are kind of pro athletes are hamstring to talk about this issue. So I felt kind of in a unique position, you know, not being sponsored and being able to kind of stand up for athletes from other brands. So that's, that's why I, I usually like to stay out of controversy and not get involved in it. Um, so that, that was the big reason. And then, you know, obviously when I saw the alpha fly and you see the plates stacked on top of each other with patent cushioning between them, it's like, whoa, that looks an awful lot like a spring to me. But again, that was my, my opinion. And, um, more than anything, I think what I want from our run free community is the freedom to disagree with each other. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like, I love listening to podcasts and reading stuff that like I disagree with some of it, you know, because I feel like it challenges me and it stretches me and it, it makes me look at things from different perspectives. And it also too, it it makes me realize when I'm not willing to look at the other side of an issue, it makes me realize that like really there's some insecurity inside of me with this issue. Like I don't really feel secure in my own belief on whatever the issue is because I'm w unwilling to even like entertain the idea that I could possibly be wrong in this, you know? So you know, I hope that our community, like we can all hear each other, we can all be rooting for each other, no matter what shoes we're in, no matter what our nutrition philosophy is, like no matter what our training philosophy is, that we are all just like here to learn from each other and to cheer each other on and uh, and to be stretched by each other and to grow from each other. Um, you know, it's kind of like marbles and rocks, like they're made smooth the edges, the rough edges come off because they rub up against each other. So that's really what I want for our run free community. You know, like we talk a lot about freedom. I want us to be free to be us and to feel loved by everyone in our community, even if we don't necessarily agree with each other. So all that to say, that's kind of in line, actually, this transitions nicely into today's topic, the 20 top nutrition myths. Because when I read this article, there were some things I was like, ah, I don't know if I like fully agree with this, but it was stretching. It was good for me to see the other side of it. And then also too, there were things where I was like, well, you know, this might be true for the general public, but you know, if you look at it from a runner's perspective, there might be a reason why, for example, you might want to take in your carbohydrate intake over multiple meals rather than over two meals, which is something we'll get into uh, later on as we're digging through this article. So all that to say, you don't have to agree with everything that we're going to go over today. I kind of hope you don't, but I hope you do find it kind of stretching. And also too, I know for myself, when I read this article, it just kind of relieved some of the misconceptions that I had and some of the worries that I had with my own nutrition. You'll see what I'm talking about here shortly when we dive into this. Cause one of the things like for myself personally is I've been taking in 50 grams of protein every three hours. So I'm getting in like 300, sometimes 350 grams of protein per day, which is really, really high. And like one of the misconceptions or one of the conceptions, one of the stereotypes, I don't know what you want to call it, but you guys know what I'm talking about. 
that I had heard a lot of is like, you gotta be careful. Like if you have too much protein, it's hard on your kidneys, hard on your bones, etc. And so reading this article kind of helped clarify some of that stuff for me. So I hope it does that for you as well. And um, I'm not gonna get super in depth with going through the studies. You know, there was 20 sample size of 20, and this is, you know, I'm not gonna like get all super sciencey on you guys. Um, but I do encourage you, if you do wanna dig into this article deeply, um, all the studies that they talk about are clickable links on their website. So you can just go to, just Google like examine.com top 20 nutrition myths and it'll pop right up. You can click on those studies. You can look at the studies that they're talking about. Um, and also too, right before we, we're gonna jump into this here. Um, also why I wanted to talk about this is I love the, the work these guys are doing. So I don't know about you guys, but sometimes like the whole world of supplements can be super, super confusing for me. Cause I feel like oftentimes you're hearing research, you're hearing arguments of how effective this supplement is, but you're usually hearing it from someone who is either like, it's a company trying to sell the supplement, or it's someone even like, who believes in the supplement, and so then they're gonna give you a discount code, and then they're gonna get, get a percentage of it, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a little bit hard to trust, at least for myself, when I hear information about supplements so what i love about examine.com and i really encourage you guys to check it out and again i have like no relationship with these guys whatsoever um i think one of the founders might have emailed me like years ago and hooked me up with some some of their like content or whatever that's their paid content but that was like years ago and besides that like i don't i don't get anything you know i'm not getting a cut of you guys going and checking out their free content. So purely just telling you guys this to, to help you kind of uh, wade through those tricky waters of the supplement world. So what these guys do, like their whole thing is like examine.com and they are just trying to look at supplements with like no bias at all. So, you know, they're not trying to sell you on a supplement. They're not, you know, coming from, they're not funded by a supplement company. Like they're just independent researchers looking at supplements, looking at the studies on both sides of the supplement and then giving you advice. And a lot of their stuff, like it isn't like this supplement sucks. You should never take it. It's like, okay, so here's the studies that show that it has an effect. Here's the studies that show it does not affect in our opinion. Like this is kind of where we land on this supplement. So I found it super helpful. Um, you know, I've, taken a lot of natural supplements over the years. And usually when I go back and I check it with their website, I'm kind of like, yeah, I kind of had a similar experience there where, for example, like, uh, I don't know, a lot. I took a lot of like the natural testosterone boosting supplements that you hear about, um, like maca root and stuff like that. And I'll go to their website and then you find that it's like very, very marginal, if any type of, you know, effect on testosterone levels to take that i was like oh, okay well that would explain why like i took this for months and months and felt no difference at all so good resource for you guys um if you're curious about supplements highly recommend you guys go to the website check out check out their stuff and uh let's let's dive in with it that was kind of a longer intro than i usually do but let's start with uh myth number one and this is kind of what i was telling you guys about um myth number one is protein is bad for you so let's see and there might be a little bit of like me figuring out things i want to talk about from the article and sorting through it so if you guys can be patient with me that would be great 
So bone loss is one of the things that they talk about, one of the common kind of misconceptions with protein intake, that if you take in a bunch of protein, um, you're going you're gonna to have more calcium in your urine, and that is like a sign of uh, bone loss or it being hard on your bones. So they kind of run through here why that is not necessarily the case. Um, basically talking about how like on a lot of these studies where they had higher protein intake and then were measuring more calcium coming out is actually because um, the, the high protein was coming from dairy products. And so they're taking in a lot more calcium. So it's like calcium in, calcium out, like your body's not using it, so it's taking it back out. And then they had another reason for why there might be more calcium in the urine, which was kind of long and lengthy, so I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> um, so at the end of the day, what they say about bone loss with protein intake is that uh, protein can actually, it has a neutral or even a slightly protective effect on bones. So nugget to take away, you don't got to sweat it out, sweat about like taking in a bunch of protein, worrying about bone health. And I can, you know, speak to that myself, having taken 300 grams of protein a day for the last four and a half years and have had zero, you know, bone issues. Um, so I think they're on the money there. The other thing with protein is uh, kidney damage. That's kind of the other thought is that if you take in a bunch of protein, it's gonna be hard on your kidneys. Um, so their conclusion here is that uh, randomized trials thus far have not shown high, pre high protein diets to harm bones or kidneys or otherwise in otherwise healthy adults. So basically, um, again, you can go and look back at the studies if you want that they go through. Um, but they're saying unless you are suffering from a pre-existing condition of some sort, um, taking in high amounts of protein isn't bad. All right, so myth number two is carbs are bad for you. And I like how they just like run right through the macros, like right off the bat, you know, because this is so true. Like it, at one time, like I thought this stuff too, like I thought too much protein is bad for you. Then there was a phase I went through where I was like, too much carbs is bad for you. And where I was doing like low carb stuff. And then myth number three is that fats are bad for you. So, you know, it's funny how at one stage in my life, I feel like I kind of bought into uh these myths. So, all right, let's jump into myth number two, carbs. So this is interesting. This was kind of some of the stretching stuff for me where they're saying that um, many people believe that the popular glycemic index and the lesser known insulin index rank foods by their unhealthiness. Yet the available research shows that low glycemic diets when compared to higher glycemic diets have either no effect or only modest beneficial effects on metabolic syndrome factors even in diabetes. Furthermore, a low glycemic diet doesn't even lead to better glycemic control than do other diet patterns. So this was one of those stretching things for me because I've been a big fan of the glycemic index and have used that for a long, long time. Um, so this was one of those things where it's kind of like, huh, like I wonder if there's something to it here. So let's keep going through this one. Um, and again, real quick on this, this is something that might be different uh, in terms of energy that you're experiencing you know so yes maybe eating a higher glycemic index might have uh, no effect or only modest beneficial effects on uh, metabolic syndrome factors but what about like your energy level for workouts so it's like we kind of need to sort through this stuff from a runner's perspective and be like okay well 
yes, maybe it doesn't matter if I'm eating like white bread compared to, you know, a higher fiber bread, but what's that going to do in terms of my energy, how I'm going to feel throughout the day, how am I going to feel in my training that's coming up? So we kind of need to keep that in mind as we're waiting through this. And, and two, like some of the things too, like with glycemic index, for example, I think, you know, like why not err on the side of taking in low glycemic foods compared to high glycemic foods, you know, um, if it's going to give you more sustainable energy throughout the day, longer, slower burning energy, like that seems to me like even if there's studies that might show that it doesn't make that big of a difference, why not, you know, take opt for the slower burning carb. So it's kind of like a lot of these things, it might kind of allow you to relax on things and be like, okay, it's not the end of the world if I have like plain bread for this meal instead of like a high fiber bread. Like don't freak out about it. But at the same time, like if you have a choice, you know, go for the the lower glycemic bread. And then also, so what they get into later here in this section on this myth is they talk about like uh, looking at fat loss, you know, because a lot of people are looking to lose weight. And so they towards the end of this section, they talk about, um, you know, is a low carb diet better than a low fat diet compared to high fat diet. And basically what they land on with that is, um, well, I'll just read it to you. It says the truth, as long as you do not overindulge, there's nothing inherently harmful about carbohydrates. And so basically like what they land on is that if you're trying to lose weight, it's not really rocket science. Like you have to end your day in a caloric deficit. That's that's helpful for me because I know like sometimes I get lost in like well you know I think it does matter what kind of macro you're taking in your your macro percentages breaking down like that is does contribute to you know how how quickly you can lean out and how much weight loss but it's also good to kind of like just keep it simple and just be like listen at the end of the day if you're in a caloric deficit you're losing weight if you're in a caloric surplus you're probably putting on weight. All right, so let's move to myth number three. And uh, we'll just see how we're doing here, guys, in terms of how far we go. Um, yeah, we'll see how many of these we get through. We might be doing a part two on this one. All right, so myth three, fats are bad for you. Definitely, like I said, I've definitely bought into this one at one time or another. Um, and so basically what they land on after looking at all the science and the research on both sides of this thing, they basically land on this, that trans fat is the only kind of fat that has been shown to be categorically detrimental to health. And I would like 100% agree with them on that. So they go on to say the trans fat you should or you need to shun is a byproduct of partially hydrogenated oils. This type of trans fat was once a common ingredient of processed food, so common that trans fat consumption was linked to more than half a million coronary heart disease deaths worldwide, which is crazy. Half a million people died because of trans fats. So this is one of those things where it's really like sit up and pay attention to this. Like stay away from trans fats. Um, Th that is like very very clear and the thing that's tricky about trans fats is uh let me read this part to you uh the fda use used to allow for a product to be labeled as having zero grams of trans fat as long as the serving of the product had less than 0.5 grams however even today the manufacturer usually gets to decide what a serving is which means that while a 
five gram serving, maybe a small treat the size of your thumbnail, may have officially zero grams of trans fat. 100 grams of the product may have eight grams if 0.5 grams of the product contains, in fact, 0.4 grams of trans fat. So basically, if it has just a tiny bit of trans fat in it for the serving size, they can say it doesn't, it has zero grams of trans fat when actually there might be trans fat in it. So kind of where they land is like, stay away from uh, packaged food, from um, anything that could possibly have trans fat. If you look on the ingredients, the way to do this, just look on the ingredients list. If you see partial, partially hydrogenated soybean oil or anything partially hydrogenated, just stay away from it. Um, even if it says zero grams trans fat, because in reality, you might be getting some of that. So uh, that's that one. Uh, let's see, I'll just read like their conclusion. The truth, if you stay in a caloric surplus, a low-fat diet won't make you lose weight. You need some omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, and saturated fat won't necessarily give you a heart attack, but too much trans fat may. So... Again, the nugget from that guy is just stay away from trans fat and don't sweat having some fat in your diet, especially, like they said, omega-3s, omega-6s, really, really important. So, um, you know, that's why I'm a big fan of having some salmon a couple times a week. All right, so let's move on to the next one, which is egg yolks are bad for you. And you guys heard that one? Yeah, I definitely um, you went through a period where like egg whites only egg white by the way egg white egg white scrambles are just not the same as scrambled eggs uh, oh man i used to put so much like tabasco salsa i'm putting all this stuff in there to try and like disguise the taste of just plain egg whites Ugh, not feeling it but teach your own maybe you love your egg white almonds <laughs> but uh let's anyways let's see what they say about eggs and egg yolks uh, so the truth, what they land on, is eggs are a great source of protein, fats, and other nutrients. Their association with high cholesterol and cardiovascular disease has been severely overblown. Again, if you want to go back, look at the research, click on the studies, feel free, you can see why they arrived on that uh, subject. But again, I don't want to take too much time to dive into those. All right, let's move into myth number five. Uh, red meat is bad for you. So there's a common uh, conception that meat causes cancer, eating red meat causes cancer. And so what they kind of land on on this one, I'll just read it to you guys. It says, fears about red meat causing cancer are vastly exaggerated, making healthy lifestyle choices such as eating a balanced diet rich in whole foods, staying at a healthy weight, exercising and not smoking is overall more important than micromanaging your intake of red meat still if you plan to eat less red meat start with the kind that has been cured smoked or highly processed so they do kind of talk a little bit about how um, meat that is uh, highly processed cured like i just read how it is um, there is a slightly more increased risk of cancer they also talked about i thought this was like really true they say almost everything we eat has the potential to be involved in cancer development and uh, I was like, that makes a ton of sense. Because I feel like the more research I do on nutrition and uh, it being linked to cancer, it just can be overwhelming, right? At times you're just like, wow, I think I'm just going to have to like only drink water for the rest of my life because it seems like everything is linked to cancer. You know, it's crazy. Um, 
And then even you look at water and they're like, there's plastics in your water and you got to do all this crazy stuff to your water. And it can just get like really, really kind of overwhelming, right? So um, this, this kind of helped me kind of sort through the red meat thing a little bit. And it's a little bit convicting, to be honest. I don't know. I like, I like grew up with like lunch meat and um, some stuff now that I don't eat. So I, I do eat red meat. I eat it. I used to eat it like every day for lunch, but I am like kind of taking their advice on this, eating it less often. And when we do eat red meat, eating grass fed organic as much as possible. And, uh, and yeah, just doing it a couple times a week. So I think really solid advice here, um, just to maybe manage it to a couple times a week. And, uh, and if you are going to cut it out, cut out the cured, smoked and highly processed stuff first. All right, let's move on to myth number six, uh, which is salt is bad for you. I've, I feel like I've gotten myself in trouble with this one before where I cut like salt out of my diet leading up to marathons and then, uh, kind of feel like I just messed with my system in a bad kind of way. And, um, it was just kind of out of balance, you know, cause usually like my, my approach with salt usually is like just salt to taste, you know, and we usually like our food pretty salty in my house. So we use quite a bit of salt and kind of what they land on in this section is basically saying like salt becomes a problem when we eat a ton of really highly processed stuff. So what they land on is the truth. Salt reduction is important for people with salt-sensitive hypertension. So there are, are people who need to watch their salt intake. This isn't like cross the board, like have at it with the salt. Um, and excess salt intake is associated with harm. But a drastic decrease in salt intake has no shown uniform benefit on clinical trials. Most people benefit more from a diet of mostly unprocessed foods than from micromanaging their salt intake. So I think that's kind of a, a healthy place to land on this issue with salt is just, you know, trying to stay away from processed food and then salting to taste. I think that's kind of just a good takeaway to take from this. But again, if you have salt sensitive hypertension um, and you need, to, there's medical reasons why you need to watch your salt intake, please do. All right. Myth number seven, bread is bad for you. Definitely bought into this one. It, it, many points throughout my uh, fitness journey and uh, let's see what they say about this they're basically saying like white bread versus whole bread not a big difference between the two uh, let's see what the media frequently fall fails to mention is that the actual difference between white bread and whole wheat bread are relatively small yes whole wheat bread has a higher fiber content but this content pales compared to that of many fruits and vegetables you most definitely don't have to eat whole wheat products to get enough fiber in your diet. And yes, while white bread does lose more micronutrients during processing, but those micronutrients are often reintroduced later that the bread is called enriched. All right, so what they land on here is uh, while some people are sensitive to wheat, the gluten content isn't necessarily to blame and other foods may also be implicated. Bread nor any other food will inherently cause weight gain unless it is consumption puts you in a caloric surplus. Though whole wheat bread is claimed to be far healthier than white bread, they aren't that different and neither contains high levels of fiber of, or micronutrients. So again, kind of one of those things, guys, where it's like, like at our house, we buy, uh, well, I eat sourdough bread. I eat a ton of sourdough bread because it's lower glycemic, which is good, right? <laughs> um, 
but we do we buy that like ezekiel bread figure like anything that's like made out of the bible has got to be healthy right so you know it's kind of those deals where it's like well you get to choose what you're going to put in your body and um but maybe don't sweat it you know if you have some white bread from time to time like don't lose your mind about it like it's okay um there's not actually a huge difference between the two but if you're going to choose, I, I would always say, like, opt for the healthy version, you know. And there also, too, is the satiation aspect to bread that I think is really important to talk about. Because, you know, they talk about uh, at the end of that, like, as long as you're not overindulging and eating a whole bunch of white bread, not ending in a caloric surplus, like, you're not going to put on weight by eating bread, which is true. But we need to also remember, you know, I talked about the podcast about leaning out. Like, bread is not satiating at all, at least in my opinion. Like, I, man, I remember when we go into, like, Safeway at, like, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. This was, like, back in our mammoth days. And they had, like, the fresh bread coming out. Oh, I'd like buy one of those like hot bread loaves, French bread, and I could just pound like the giant, you know, baguette that they would have. So good. And then I'd like go home and eat a normal dinner, right? Because it's like not that feeling. Like you can eat a ton of bread. So, um, you know, it's worth mentioning on that. Like if your goal is to lose weight, then eating white bread might not be the best direction to go because you might be able to slam a whole bunch of white bread and feel like you could eat a whole meal after that, you know? So just be aware of that. And then also on the flip side of that, if you're having a hard time maintaining your weight and you're wanting to maintain your weight and you just keep losing weight and you're like, I can't keep my weight on, eating white bread might be a simple way for you to increase your caloric load and therefore stop losing so much weight. So that's... uh. Hopefully that allows you to go out and go to the bakery and not sweat it too much. <laughs> Although the, the whole gluten thing is a whole nother issue, and they kind of talked about it briefly there. Um, if you want to dig deeper in, you should check out the article. All right, myth number eight, uh, high fructose corn syrup is far worse than sugar. <laughs> I, I like this one because oftentimes, like, you know, you see, like, people like trying to be healthy but then pouring like a whole bunch of maple syrup instead of like like corn syrup that's in like fake syrup you know when really like i don't think there's that big of a difference but let's see what they have to say um high fructose corn syrup is a blend of glucose and fructose commonly used to sweeten food products early evidence led to the belief that fructose could cause fatty liver disease as well as insulin resistance and obesity by extension, high fructose corn syrup is frequently said to be unhealthy since it is high in fructose. The reality is that there isn't always more fructose in high fructose corn syrup than in sugar. Liquid high fructose corn syrup has a fructose content of 50, 42 to 55%. Sucrose, also known as table sugar, is 50% fructose. The difference, 8% to 5%, or, uh, is too slight to matter. So the truth that they land on, high fructose corn syrup and table sugar are very similar from health perspective, though high fructose corn syrup may sometimes contain more fructose. The difference is negligible. Oh, I didn't miss that. <laughs> the difference is too small to matter, is what they're saying. <laughs> so at the end of the day, don't overly sweat high fructose corn syrup compared to regular sugar. All right, let's move to myth number nine. Dietary supplements aren't necessary. Oh, Myth number nine, dietary supplements are necessary. So this is uh, 
uh, favored line of thinking by supplement companies and health gurus. One argument is that crops are becoming poor in nutrients due to extensive agriculture and increasing levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Another argument is that foods are a mess of unknown compounds in addition to known poisons such as dreaded saturated fats, cholesterol, gluten, and FODMAPS. No wonder that more than one-third of Americans take multivitamins and minerals. Better cover one's bases or so the thinking goes. Alas, there is no evidence taking a multivitamin increases life expectancy. While it may... uh, Support your health in some ways by ensuring adequate intakes of un- under-consumed nutrients. It could hurt in other ways by making you over-consume some nutrients to the point where they may harm your health. So that's kind of interesting, right? It's like you think you just pop a multivitamin to cover your bases. I know, like, I have multivitamins here that um, I take it for that reason, just trying to cover my bases. But actually, you can harm your health because you're over-consuming some nutrients is what they're saying here. So, fact is, multis are seldom well-formulated due to cost and space considerations. People willing to take one pill a day may bulk at taking 10. Multis are often rich in micronutrients, abundant in a healthy diet, and poor in others you are more likely to need. Try to focus on what you actually need by tweaking your diet in special cases, by supplementing with specific micronutrients such as vitamin B12 if you're a vegan or a senior, or vitamin D if you bare skin seldom gets enough sun exposure. In fact, many foods you'll find at the supermarket are already fortified with the micronutrients you most likely to lack. Milk, for instance, is frequently fortified fortified with vitamin D, whereas salt is iodized, and enough foods are fortified with folic acid that you're as likely to get too much is not enough. In that light, it may be tempting to take the next step and live on meal replacements with all necessary nutrients added and in none of the uh, previously mentioned poisons. That could work if you actually knew the optimal intakes for all nutrients. We learn a little more each day, but there's still much we don't understand about food compounds and their interactions with different systems in our body, especially since those interactions can differ between individuals. So until we reach a perfect understanding of the human body and its nutrient needs, you're safer eating a varied diet of little processed foods than ingesting the same meal replacements day after day after day. And it tastes better. All right, so what they land on, guys, uh, supplements have their use. Some people may benefit from supplements, um, specific vitamins or minerals, but supplements should be com- should complete a healthy diet, not replace it. So I don't know. that. I think that's pretty solid advice there. Like don't just take a multivitamin to, to cover your bases. Like have it be strategic. Um, supplementation if necessary like they said a lot of our food that we're intaking is already fortified with stuff so um, just don't lose sleep over not taking your multivitamin if you missed it and even consider not taking it if you are taking it because you don't want to be getting too much of those micro nutrients that they're talking about all right so myth number 10 uh, food nutrients are better than supplement nutrients. So I like, this is like typical of what these guys do, right? They kind of look at both sides of it. So they just looked at like how you don't need supplements, but now they're going to talk about how food nutrients aren't necessarily better than supplement nutrients. So they're kind of looking at the flip side of the coin here. So kind of, I'm not going to read the whole section of it, 
But uh, the truth, when with regard to notably to vitamins, foods are not always superior to supplements. So they kind of run through some different examples of uh, how supplements can basically be the same as foods. So you can read that if you're interested more in that. All right, myth number 11, uh, fresh is more nutritious. We're just going to do a couple more of these guys, and we'll save. We'll split this into a couple parts here. Got some deadlifting to do. Got to hit some weights. <laughs> um, but first, let's talk about this. Uh, fresh is more nutritious. So you guys might have heard this before. Um, I know like I have before, like talking about the difference between frozen, especially compared to fresh and how it's very, very small, like too small of a difference to even measure, which is really helpful, right? Especially for people who got families like myself and you just want to throw together a quick meal and you don't have time to go to the store and you have no veggies except for in your freezer. Um, it can be nice to rely on those frozen veggies sometimes uh, and not lose miss out on a whole bunch of nutrients so let's uh just skip straight to what they landed on with this one um there's little difference between fresh and frozen produce nutrient wise canned produce tend to undergo a lot more processing but remember that cooking is a form of processing too overall fresh and frozen produce may be more nutritious than nutritious than canned produce, but eating enough whole fruits and vegetables is more important than how they were processed. So what was kind of interesting when I was reading through this section of it, they talked about how when you cook foods, that also changed the the nutrients within the food too. So um, just something to keep in mind. And they're going to go on to talk about like raw diets versus not you know raw diets where they don't cook at all or they don't they don't go above a certain temperature and how that's not necessarily more beneficial either so we're going to kind of look at all sides of the coins here um let's do one more and then we will pause until the next time all right so myth number 12 uh, foods labeled natural or healthier so i don't know if you guys have seen like these usda organic or 100 percent natural kind of logos on foods i i know for myself i tend to i'll be more likely to buy food if it has that label on it so let's see what um, they have to say about that um so kind of where they land, I don't know if I want to read this whole thing to you guys. All right, I'm just going to go to where they land on. The truth, overall, the natural label isn't tightly regulated. Importantly, neither the USDA nor the FDA defines natural in relation to healthiness of food. In other words, a natural label doesn't guarantee the product is healthful, though it might be. So a little bit uncertain with that one, you know, like it could be natural but also just realize like the fda doesn't um, regulate things super tightly so just because you're buying a product that's labeled natural doesn't necessarily mean you're getting something that's way healthier than uh, its counterpart all right so we'll leave off there we're on myth number 13 and we will resume next week hope you guys are enjoying training we are enjoying an amazing winter here in Flagstaff. Got off to a rough start, and now it's just like, feels like springtime here. So we're loving some sunshine, getting on the dirt roads, and um, getting in some really, really nice workouts leading up to the trial. So hope your guys' training is going well. And until next time, I'll talk to you guys later.